Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Gabe and Laura here. It's May 17th, and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For a discussion of all things queer, she chose the new documentary series, Pride. For our discussion of all things sports, she chose the NHL playoffs. And for our discussion at the intersection of sports and queer, we're talking about transgender Olympic hopefuls. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club, Chesapeake and Potomac Softball League. First, a quick update on Team DC. This week, Team DC delivered its 600th Heroes for Heroes meal. This week's meals were delivered at the Vaccine Distribution Center at the DC Convention Center. The meals were sponsored by Team DC, Rainbow Spinnakers, and Stonewall Kickball Team, The Swallows. The Pride Night Out series is back. Team DC will be celebrating Pride Night Out with the Washington Prodigy on June 5th. Tickets will be on sale soon at WashingtonProdigy.com. And Team DC will celebrate Pride Night Out with the Washington Mystics on June 29th, Old Glory Rugby on July 10th, the Washington Nationals on August 17th, and DC United on August 28th. Stay tuned for more details. Team DC will be celebrating Pride Week June 1st through 7th. The virtual celebration will include content from Pride Night Out partners, including the Washington Capitals and Nationals, Team DC's 2021 College Scholarship recipients, workouts, yoga, healthy cooking and eating tips, and more. Our annual silent auction fundraiser will also take place featuring sports tickets and memorabilia from all of our night out partners. More details are coming soon. Follow Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Instagram and Twitter at Team DC Sports to stay up to date on all the latest news from Team DC. Laura and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all your favorite podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast to help us get the word out. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening. With that, here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. First up, our queer topic. This past Friday, a new series debuted on FX. It's called Pride, and it consists of a series of six documentary films that together attempt to tell the story of LGBTQ life in America in the late 20th century through the early 21st century. Each film is set in a different decade, starting with the 1950s and spanning into the 2000s and the present day. 
Each film is set up differently with different narrative techniques. The films use interviews with activists, authors, academics, and others to examine different facets of culture, including the fight for legal recognition, the fight for the right to express oneself, and the fight for real depiction in media and the arts. This week, we got the first three episodes of Pride. First up, episode one called People Had Parties, focused on the 1950s. The film features bisexual actress Aaliyah Shawcott, best known for her role on Arrested Development, dressed in period clothing and reading the words of Lavender Scare survivor and lawyer Madeline Truss. There were rare home movies of queer people in the 1950s having parties and all kinds of scary information about the FBI surveilling people suspected of being homosexual. Episode two, Riots and Revolutions, focused on the 1960s and featured a mix of historic protest footage and interviews of marginalized communities, women of color and trans people. Finally, episode three, The Vanguard of Struggle, focused on the 1970s and includes archival footage and interviews. It's a powerful depiction of the fight for LGBTQ rights becoming a national movement. We saw footage from the first gay pride march, the rise of poet Audre Lorde, a first look at intersectional feminism and the backlash of the religious right. I thought it started out a little slow, but built momentum as it went. By the end of episode three, I was ready for more. These films somehow managed to feel big, bold and loud, but also intimate at the same time. And best of all, they managed to tell the story of queer history without glossing over the women. If you thought gay history consisted only of Stonewall, the AIDS crisis, and marriage equality, these films are your chance to learn your queer history. And they will give you all kinds of feels just in time for Pride Month. Go catch them now. Next week, we'll be getting the last three episodes focusing on the 1980s, 90s, and the 2000s into today. There will likely be plenty of AIDS coverage and probably the ACT UP die-ins in New York City, Culture Wars and Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Newt's Lesbian Sister, Rent, Ryan White, and Matthew Shepard. Hopefully, we also get to look at James Baldwin, Baird Rustin, Tammy Baldwin, and Pete Buttigieg. Who knows? Whatever we get, I expect it will be great. And if it's half as good as the three episodes we got this week, you won't be sorry you took the time to watch it. So Gabe, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but if you did, what'd you think? And are you excited to dive into some queer history with FX's Pride? I am, and I'm glad that it's happening right before Pride Month. Um, but what I loved is they kind of went off early off, you know, and started saying, hey, everyone just thinks of queer history as starting in June 1969, and that's it. But no, 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 we're going to start with, you know, the 1900s, the 1920s, everyone's throwing drag balls um, even stuff that they didn't cover, but it's just like little stories that you hear, like, uh, you know, there was drag balls in DC in the 1900s. Like stuff yeah. that you don't talk about and, and just how different it was. I love that they, they touched up how, um, just, you know, you had all these like gay soldiers coming back and they're introducing their partners to their families and they're kind of like, oh, okay, cool. That's, that's, <laughs> we don't understand what's going on, but we'll accept it. And how some of these historians were saying that, even in the 20s, you know, up to the 50s, it was a more accepting time, which is very interesting. Yeah, well, it was definitely interesting. I mean, look, so I think a lot of times, I think one of the points they were trying to make is that people 
think of the 50s as like just assume that everybody was like in the closet nobody was out nobody was enjoying their life as a queer person and everybody was probably just filled with shame and guilt and blah 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 and the point they were making is like you know publicly a lot of people were in the closet but there was still there was yeah there was this rich social life that people had and you know there were all these house parties and um and really people were living very full um happy lives as queer people but yeah no i mean i really appreciate that they go back you know they didn't just start in the late 60s early 70s they're gonna they're trying to do a full look i mean i think it's awfully ambitious to try to do like you know 60 70 years of queer history over the course of two nights uh but you know i really enjoyed the first three episodes i did think that the the whole uh the 1950s episode where they used all these like modern day actors like dressed in period clothes and like <laughs> like reading the words of these people like i don't know there was a little bit it was a little sticky for me like i, it was, I, I didn't love it we had talked about it last season where it's that show that was i forgot what it was on hbo where they pay, basically did the same thing where it's yeah you know you get big big stars and actors portraying these people and it's like what wait wait what but like there were parts of it where um they were actually just like mouthing the words and they had the audio yes. recording of the actual people which <laughs> just makes me think of drunk history <laughs> and, like, and i'm watching it and thinking like this is so awkward <laughs> like um so yeah that wasn't my favorite of the three just because i didn't necessarily like the filmmaking techniques that they chose but the story was really cool because like not a lot of people like i certainly didn't like i i knew about the lavender scare but i had never heard of any particular specific people and you know they focused on a couple of different stories of people who were directly impacted by all that not all that government nonsense during that time and I, it was a really cool uh history lesson yeah i mean and it kind of it made me think because i'm like here we're hearing a story about madeline trust and being kind of ousted from the commerce department because she frequented a bar that homosexuals right. go to and they followed her and stuff and here i am like trying to you know fast forward a couple years and I'm helping my, uh, you know, my office plan Pride Month for the entire agency. I'm like, okay, I should be, I'm like, yeah, it's a pain in the butt, but also like, look how much progress we've made. I'm like, yeah. now we're celebrating it. So it's kind of like, but you also have to go back and think about it. Like, look how lucky I am that I can actually be out at work and yeah. not get fired or followed by the FBI. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, a lot of that 1950s episode was set right here in DC. And it was, you know, it, you know, it is one of these things, sometimes you have to look at your own life and it is so like when it's set right here and you're, and you're like, you know, the places and the locations and the people and you think, oh man, people were getting arrested and going to jail for just living. For going to a bar. Yeah, it's just, uh, it is a crazy thing, but it's also important. I think like I loved the 60s and 70s episodes. They didn't focus only on civil rights. They showed you a lot about arts and culture that were coming out of those decades, which was, you know, really like a booming time for like queer artists, poets, photographers, filmmakers, you know, so you got to see a lot of that. Um, they talked a lot about Bayard Rustin, who I think is like 
it's amazing, right? Because kids learn so much about Martin Luther King Jr. in school, but nobody's ever heard of Bayard Rustin, who was probably the person who taught Martin Luther King what nonviolence was. <laughs> you know, it's like, but nobody knows who he is because he was queer, right? So he was gay, so we don't put him in the history book. I mean, it's crazy. So there was a lot of great stuff in there, and I really enjoyed it. I did like also how they kind of like gave kind of like the highs and lows and like how certain things were different to some people, like the whole like Christine Jorgensen thing um, about becoming, you know, a GI to a blonde bombshell. And you had these panelists who were trans, like, again, I love Justin Vivian Bond. Yeah. Uh, Auntie Glam, if you were <laughs> down and like going around there, they're awesome. Uh, but actually basically saying like, it is easier for someone who is, you know, white. Right, and of course. Was, you know, back at the time. And, and, and they kind of like bringing that like, yeah, it was easy back then. They could come out as as uh, transgender and, you know, they're, they're the- Okay, hold on. I don't think it was easy. Not easy, but it was easier. <laughs> but yeah, no, they, the film did a great job of showing the strength and courage of Jorgensen, but then also fully acknowledging that, that the privilege that Jorgensen yes. had, you know, absolutely. They did a great job. I will say this, these films, I've seen half of them now, the amount of intersectionality and representation of not just focusing on white cis men, which so many LGBTQ focused endeavors, that is the biggest mistake they make, right? Yes. And so far, this one is super impressive. I mean, I would dare say it's feminist with the amount of focus on queer women it has had um, and the strength and power of queer women that it's been showing and trans people of color. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm glad you're getting, it kind of gives us like a whole kind of like big, viewing of basically lgbtq history but doesn't just focus on one certain thing or whatever there's yeah I, I do agree there's a whole bunch of representation and a lot of people and you know almost anyone can watch it and be like hey i i recognize her yeah that story kind of hits me and i understand i see that. something and, of myself somewhere they're so they're yeah. they're really telling so many stories that you, you really yeah no i mean so the next episode up is the 1980s i'm fully prepared that it's going to be a big fucking downer uh <laughs> Because the first three, really, I, I, even though there was all this scary, like, gov government, you know, shit in there, it, the whole thing felt very exciting and uplifting. It felt very proud. Um, oh, yeah. And I, in as much as I think they'll continue to do a great job, I just, I don't know how you tell the story of queer life in the 1980s and make it sound uh, <laughs> not a little bleak. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be brought down a a step or two with my mood as I watch the next episode, but it's going to be a crazy ride to see um, the last episode. Cause think about it. They're going to start in 2000, which is like, you know, a whole fucking different world. I mean, go in one episode of this whole show. You're going to get, you know, don't ask, you're going to get, don't ask, don't tell repealed. You're going to get marriage equality. You're going to get, 
Black Trans Lives Matter marches. You're good. I mean, it's just that last episode is going to be a freaking whirlwind <laughs> <laughs> of everything that's happened that we've lived through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm like, what are they going to do in the 90s? They're just going to like show Bill Clinton like over and over being a dumbass about Don't Ask, Don't Tell and like him fighting with Newt Gingrich and... <laughs> I don't know that episode of friends uh, where the exactly. lesbian wedding happens. Uh, I don't know, but, and then, Oh, I guess Ellen DeGeneres will come out. Right. Again, but um, yeah, but you're going to be like watching that. And then your head's going to spin when you see them have to fly through the last 20 years of queer history, because man, <laughs> has the world changed. Uh, no, I'm excited. I'm excited to see. And then I always like to, yeah, it's just stuff that I never think about. It's, I mean, it's not, not going to be in a history book anytime soon unless we change things. But yeah, just going back, checking out your, our own history, our own queer culture, and just enjoying it and be like, yeah, I'm part of this group. I'm part of this community that is pretty badass. We had some awesome role models that, to look up to. You can say that again. Well, for anybody who is looking for it, it's um, the show is on FX, the FX network. Um, the first three episodes did air this past weekend. Next Friday from 8 to 11, I think, is when you get to see the last three episodes on FX. They also are streaming on Hulu the day after they show on FX for people who want to catch them there. Very cool. So what's going on in the world of sports? Oh, so many things. <laughs> hey, sports. <laughs> Yay, sports! Everybody, it went from zero to 60. Every sport is being played at the same time right now. It's a little bit hard to keep up. But in sports this week, I'm focusing on the NHL playoffs. The NHL playoffs are here. Everything is so weird this year because it sort of feels like the playoffs just ended, but they're already back. But at the same time, this seems way too late in the year for hockey playoffs to finally be getting started. And if I understand correctly... There are still some regular season games being played, even though the playoffs have already started. So <laughs> all in all, everything is a big crazy mess. But plot twist, the NHL has come out with a whole new structure for the playoffs this year. The first two rounds of the 2021 playoffs are going to be intradivisional. So in the East, you get to watch Pittsburgh and the Islanders or the Capitals and the Bruins. In the Central, you'll get to watch Carolina and Nashville. While Florida faces Tampa Bay. In the north, Toronto takes on Montreal, while Edmonton matches up against Winnipeg. And in the west, Colorado matches up against St. Louis, and Vegas meets Minnesota. After a winner is crowned from the four divisions, the final four will be rebracketed based on their regular season records, with number one taking on number four and number two facing number three. And the winners of those series will square off in the Stanley Cup final. It's all jumbled up. It's all different. So the exciting thing for hockey fans is that you might get some matchups in the playoffs this year that in years past would have been impossible, which is kind of a cool thing, but also really weird. Like there wasn't enough weirdness going on this year in the return of sports. They had to throw another, uh, wrench in the uh in the in the works for everybody to try to keep up with i don't know anyway i totally forgot the vegas had a hockey team and hockey in the desert is the weirdest freaking thing i can think of so i am taking vegas to win it all baby because why not 
Gabe, do you got any predictions about the NHL playoffs? First off, how did you forget that Vegas had a hockey team? Were, were you around in 2018 in D.C. when it was the Capitals and Vegas in the Stanley Cup you know, championship and the Caps won and everybody hated Vegas? Wait, that was Vegas? Yes! <laughs> No, I am not a, honestly, I'm not a hockey fan. The only time I watch hockey is when I have tickets to go live. So I really, but also who would think that Vegas would have a hockey team? It's just fucking weird. (laughs) They, what they stole the the Raiders. So yeah, go ahead. Everything about it is weird. I'm going to Vegas in a couple of weeks. Maybe they'll still be playing hockey and I'll uh, get to check it out on the strip and see if people in Vegas are actually excited about their hockey team or not. I mean, the Capitals are in the playoffs, which is nice for the local uh, fans. They did not have as good a year this year as they have in recent years. And I don't think anybody is really screaming about their chances of winning the Stanley cup, but Hey, they're in the playoffs and uh, anybody, it's anybody's puck from here on out. Restructured the playoffs. I don't know if that was necessary. Uh, Seems like they're just trying to fuck with their fans' brains as if we all aren't suffering from post-COVID uh, shenanigans enough already. But I say good luck to Washington Capitals, but my money, my horse is Vegas. Okay, you free- yeah, go Vegas. I don't know. I don't hear you coming back with anything uh, earth shattering that's going to change my mind. I mean, Vegas can try, but it's okay. The Caps won it in 2018. I guess they can have it. Should we put some money on this, whether Vegas is going to take it all or not? Because I'm getting ready to go to Vegas in a few weeks and I could use some money. We'll see. All right, let's go on. Finally, at the intersection of sports and queer, we're gearing up for the summer games in Tokyo, and it is starting to look like we may have an openly trans athlete competing in the games for the first time in history. Outsports reported this week on six openly trans athletes with a good shot at making it to the Olympics. First up, Tiffany Abreu, a Brazilian volleyball player. By various reports, Abreu is a good enough player to make the Brazil national volleyball team, but there are many other women in the same situation. It's up to the selection committee in Brazil to pick her from the team. Brazil has already qualified to have a team in Tokyo. We've got Nikki Hiltz here in the United States. Uh, Hiltz is a track and field star. Hiltz will be at the U.S. Olympic trials in late June, having qualified for the 1500 meter. Now they have to have a good race to be selected to compete at the Olympic Games this year. Out of New Zealand, Royal Hubbard is getting ready to compete in weightlifting. Hubbard has qualified for the Olympics. Uh, Having experienced injury in the past, however, her health is a question mark. Given that she doesn't do interviews, we won't know until we get there. We'll find out during the selection period. Next up, there's Quinn, a Canadian soccer player. Quinn has been a member of the Canadian women's national team for many years, having already won a medal at the 2016 Summer Olympics. Uh, CC Telfer, United, another United States track and field star. Telfer has an uphill battle, needing to post an Olympic qualifying time and compete at the U.S. Olympic trials. She previously won the Division II national championship, so we wish her luck there. 
And finally, Chelsea Wolf, also of the United States, is a BMX racer. Wolf has an excellent shot at being named an alternate for Tokyo and an outside shot at being named a competitor. We'll find out in June what her status is. Regardless, we expect her to be in Tokyo. I am looking forward to watching these trailblazing athletes do what they do best in Tokyo. Another trans athlete and former Olympian, Caitlyn Jenner, has been in the news lately for all the wrong reasons. So that's all the more reason to focus on these amazing humans right now. Uh, Gabe, are you particularly excited for the chance to see any of these athletes compete in Tokyo this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. You, you, you're talking about like going from a couple games a couple years ago where people couldn't even be out and gay and we have like the first like out and proud gay athletes and now we have out and proud trans athletes. I think that's awesome. Again, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people like a whole bunch of kids that look up to these athletes and you never know how that might change someone's life so or lives so i think that's awesome that, yeah especially uh, right now yeah i mean right now with all of the attacks on trans uh people trans kids trans athletes in particular um thank goodness the olympic committee has a decent policy and so these wonderful athletes can compete um and kids can see uh, some examples of these amazing trans athletes competing at the highest level uh, because yeah, I think everybody needs a little bit of that right now. And I mean, three of them are from the United States, which is awesome, even though our state houses are going through these crazy laws and are stupid, but hey, we're, we might have three, you know, out trans athletes, uh, Brazil, kind of like, I was like, oh, I mean, Brazil. I know, Brazil's scary. It's scary right now, and right. especially with their, you know, Portuguese Donald Trump or their Brazilian <laughs> Trump right now that they have, who, if you haven't seen uh, some of the interviews he's done where he openly says to shoot and kill anyone who's LGBTQ, yeah, go right crazy. ahead because he hates everyone. I mean, that's, that's also very brave uh, for athletes to be coming out of Brazil right now and some of the countries. Um, That's right. I mean, if you think kids here in the United States have a tough time right now and, and desperately need uh, some out and proud, visible people to look up to, imagine what it's like to be a kid in Brazil these days. Oh, yeah. Bolsonaro is insane. Like, yeah, uh, no, things are nuts. The world is crazy. And Quinn came out not that long ago, but that was a really big deal for soccer fans. Um, and so that's exciting that this time around at the Olympics, Quinn will be playing as their authentic self. And so it's awesome. I mean, we're getting some good representation and I hope uh, it just gives me something more to look forward to and to cheer for. I'm excited Absolutely. to see, uh, I'm you know a big Olympic nerd. So I'm really excited to see. Um, and everybody remember to pull out your tiny violins and uh, shed a tear for Caitlyn Jenner. Because, <laughs> I don't know, something about a private plane hanger and how she hates homeless people. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> she cannot be governor. California. No, no. Not only can she not be governor of California, she cannot be governor of anything or in charge of anything. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, no, we're all excited. Go Tokyo. Uh, the countdown is on. It's going to be here before you know it. So, yeah, lots, lots to be excited about. 
for uh, queer athletes. Okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with Team DC Member Club, Chesapeake and Potomac Softball League. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today, we are joined by two board members from the Chesapeake and Potomac Softball League, Luke Gasparro and Tony Mace. Hey, everyone. Hey, how's everyone? All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We are excited to um, talk to you guys and get some information about CAPS out to all the captive audience that we have. Um, do you guys want to each introduce yourself and just tell us briefly how long you've been playing with CAPS and uh, what, what your role is with the organization? Sure. So like she said, my name is Tony Mace. I'm the commissioner of the Chesapeake and Potomac uh, Softball League here in the Washington, D.C. area. I have been a part of this league for 14 years, or this will be my 14th year. Wow. Um, I know I started when I was like 12. 12, yeah. Little league. Obviously. <laughs> um, and I joined sort of our board kind of back in 2001 uh, when we hosted the World Series in 2003. I joined that board and then just casually worked my way up to now commissioner for going on five years. So five. All right. Well, good to have you here. Luke? I do not have that much time as Tony. Actually, I have very little time. Um, I'm Lucas Barro. I'm the secretary. I was just elected this past summer, so I'm fairly new to the board. And I've only been playing in CAP since 2019. Um, I moved to D.C. I think around, you know, August of 2017. And I've had my eyes on CAPS for a long time. Um, but, you know, work and personal life kept me away from playing. And I uh, joined in 2019 um, looking for an outlet just, you know, just to new to the area, meet new people. And um, I loved it. Loved it so much that I now on the board and very happy to be doing what I can do to serve the league and the community. Great. Thanks. Thanks for uh, sharing that. Um, can you guys tell us a little bit about the structure of CAPS? Um, for anybody who it's not obvious, CAPS is a softball organization, but I'm going to let Tony and Luke tell you about the national organization that they're a part of and how they're organized here in the area. Sure. So we are the adult uh, slow pitch uh, LGBTQ softball organization here in the DC area. Um, our structure is um, set in a way that all people are welcome and have a safe space to play. Um, we're not going to throw someone that is a complete novice in with someone that's played for 30 years and basically is a pro um, for obvious safety reasons. So um, it is structured in a way that we take the safety part to heart and make sure that we don't have any situations or hope that we don't have any situations. Um, we are a part of two national organizations. One is for the quote unquote open division. So uh, all members of the LGBTQ plus community is welcome in that. Um, but it does end up mainly being mostly men um, in, that, in that side. And then we are a part of Asana um, on the women's plus side, um, which we have amazingly been elected 
host of their World Series in 2022. So oh, cool. there will be a large women's plus uh, lesbian gay uh, softball tournament here in the DC area uh, come next year. Cool. And how many different teams do you have that compete at the various different levels? So locally we have, it sort of fluctuates between about 22 to 26-ish teams uh, each year. And we have two seasons. We have our summer season that runs uh, basically the beginning of April through, it's a nine-week season. We try and have it done by the beginning of July, but with rain in the spring, it ends up going till the end of July, early August. Um, and then nationally, um, when it comes to teams and traveling, um, we used to not send that many teams, but one of my, um, sort of main goals, um, when coming on the board was to get people to travel more, to have that experience against other people and to have that softball family um, to know that there are other people like us out there in the world outside of DC. Um, and we now get roughly, I would say 50% to about 66% of our membership now travel at some form throughout the year. Okay. Wow. Is that for like tournaments that teams put on that you can submit as many teams as you want? Cor yes. And no. <laughs> um, <laughs> to local tournaments that we can send as many teams as we want. Um, and a lot of times we have like pickup teams that will go to these local tournaments, which are basically every holiday weekend with the exception of Christmas. Um, but our world series for the open side, which they're a part of Naga, which is North America gay Ath amateur athletic Alliance. Um, they are very structured in how many teams that we're able to send to our world series so that it doesn't get out of hand because for the world series this year, they're projecting 250 teams are going to go. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of softball players in one city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a lot it of fun. It's, heaven. it's the yeah, highlight. That of the sounds year. like a great time. I mean, it's the highlight of the year in LGBTQ softball. I mean, you know, to go and compete at that level and just the amount of fun and in team spirit that comes out of that week. My first one was in 2019 and, like Tony said, like, you know, his mission is to get every player there. Um, and I was so glad I went that year. It was such a great experience to be at that spotlight in that, in that center stage. So it's a great, it's a great experience for anyone. That's cool. Is it kind of set? So, you know, what time of the year it is. So if you're a new player, uh, you know, on, on, on the team for a while, you can kind of prepare every year for that. That's correct. Yeah. It's usually the end of the summer or, you know, right before Labor Day or after Labor Day. This year it's going to be in Columbus, which I think Tony is the last week of August, right before yeah. Labor Day weekend. It's the week um, leading into Labor Day. Very cool. So the little personal story, I guess, to not go off topic, but to go off of what Luke said, um, it, it, as like being a commissioner of the league. And like I said, I've done this for a while now. Um, it's one of those things that when I see a new player from my league be able to experience the World Series, and like I said, there's this year going to be over 250 teams, so times 15 players per team on average, you're looking at over 5,000 people there. 
and there's a big opening ceremony or opening yeah ceremony every year and it's like this big party where like national talent gets brought out like Nina West was the host back in 2015 um there's a gay country singer that just recently came out um that he was a part of the opening ceremonies a couple years ago they like always bring sort of a tear to my eye knowing that we as a national organization and us locally here are providing this space for people to go and travel and experience gay sports as sort of I call it our gay Olympics like there's nothing sort of to compete with it right so I love it it's amazing what uh what's the experience like here uh with caps if somebody who has never played before and doesn't know anybody in the league wants to find a team to play with what would they do and what would that experience be like yeah and and that was exactly me um when I joined in 2019 um I had some experience you know I think I think there's a lot of people out there who either play growing up like little league and stopped at a very young age or people who've never picked up a ball before um so we absolutely we welcome all skill levels we have teams um in our league that are really focused on developing fundamental skills in softball uh, for people who haven't played or myself who hadn't played in a long time and uh, you know when i signed up coaches immediately contacted me come out for a practice come meet us and it was very welcoming and that that really is, a, is the right way to do it. Um, there are teams of all different levels um, and skill sets, but I would say that there's probably every single team we have is there's a person on there who's always developing their skills at, at whatever different level. So any team that you play on, I think you're going to get that, but we do have specific teams in sort of our lower divisions are more focused on that um, social and um, developmental level. And so you have to be invited to practice with a specific team or how do you put your name in the hat in the ring? Well, there's a few different ways. I mean, one thing is to engage with us on social media. Um, we're, we're increasing our social me media presence on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, listeners could go to our website, subscribe to our newsletter, uh, get the latest information of when we're playing and when our seasons start. Um, we do hold events. Um, obviously right now the times are a little bit different, uh, but we do hold um, registration events. Um, within DC and Virginia. Um, and that's a good time to come out, meet some players and coaches. Um, and also when they reach to us, we have, and Tony could speak a little bit more about this process as we have a free agent list um, that goes to all the coaches at the start of the year. And I'll tell you, coaches like just grab people because they want people. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's not hard to find a team, but Tony could certainly weigh in a little bit more of that. So we have a unique challenge when it comes to uh, how our league is structured, right? So we as a league are out marketing ourselves and trying to grow the league ourselves. But on the flip side, our teams are also responsible for filling their needs as well. So our coaches are out, quote unquote, marketing ourselves as well to try and attract players to their team. Well, from a league standpoint, we have a free agent system that we have people sign up through us at a registration event or the um, Team DC Sports Fest, um, which gets us many players every year. Um, we try and team those players that sign up directly with the league with what we feel like would be the best sort of fit 
um, so that we don't have people that coaches end up taking and then either A, not playing them or B, it's not a great fit and it's a bad experience for all involved. And that's the last thing that we want as a league. We want everyone to not quote unquote get equal playing time, but a fair shake at the game, right? Because at the end of the day, we are all competitive and we do like to win. So, but um, that's sort of how we work with our free agent list. We do kind of throw it out there to the masses at first, just to get people sort of placed on teams and coaches reaching out to people and inviting them out to practice. But at the end of the day, we end up having to put people on teams. So, gotcha. sort of so everybody will get matched with a team one way or another. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and if a group of 15 friends just wanted to form their own team, you can always add more teams to caps as well. Yes, we Absolutely. want that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We play out in upper Marlboro. Um, so it's a little ways out there. Um, but we have five fields at a complex that we have all day on Sunday through the spring and summer, um, starting at 9am and we can play until nine o'clock at night. So there's no real, limitations quote-unquote on field space right you guys hosted any tournaments or host any um events with teams from outside of dc here we do yeah so we have our own um tournament in july it's over july 4th weekend it's the magic tournament um mid-atlantic tournament uh this tournament as tony said earlier all across the country almost every holiday but ours is magic and it gets good turnout i think we had over 50 teams last year, Tony, I think, at yep. Power Magic, or excuse me, 2019. We didn't play, obviously, in 2020. Um, it's great. I mean, it's it's definitely a fun place to be, as, as you all know. And, and during that time of year in D.C., we have people all from both coasts come to this tournament. Um, you know, we usually have great weather. Um, the nightlife is fun. We hold events in the city as well. Um, it's a great, it's a great time that brings in like, you know, 50 teams from across the country and, and that tournament's even growing. So we're hopeful in the future that's going to get bigger and better. Yeah. So how is, uh, how's Caps of the Leagues? How have you seen their impact on the community, uh, the local LGBTQ plus community? So I think we as Caps, you know, obviously share the same values that Team DC does in all of the clubs where for us, inclusion and diversity is important. And I think, I really do think now more than ever, obviously, that it's important for us to lead by example. Um, and, and for us, I mean, every, every single time we take the field, whether it's softball, this applies to flag, dodgeball, tennis, you know, so forth. I mean, we, we're center stage. We're providing our community um, a view of what diversity inclusion looks like. So it's really important for us to keep that going during these times. Um, you know, we have us all here are, you know, have, have been historically denied the ability in some way or another to participate in, in sports. So it's important for us to celebrate this with all different races, um, people of color, transgender, non-binary people, um, women, we have people with disabilities and caps. Um, so by showcasing our diversity, we, we hope that we can make an impact um, for other organizations, not just sports, sports uh, organizations on what we're doing, um, and, you know, today is, is the start of uh, Black History Month, and we just today announced the launch of a, a diversity committee um, that we're going to be rolling out soon that is really going to focus more on um, 
more more in new ways and better ways that we could be more inclusive, not just within our league, but also the community of DC and the general area. I want to thank you guys for joining us. This has been informative and fun. We will let you go. But before that, I just want to ask you to plug any your website, any social media handles you might have, or if you have anything coming up that you want to let people know about. Now yes, your- absolutely. We love the plug-in opportunity. So <laughs> um, we are on Facebook, um, which is at Caps Softball League on Facebook and Instagram is caps underscore softball. So we're always on there. Um, we're posting content and fun things and also updates in our season. Um, but also our newsletter, which if you go to our website, which is capsoftball.org, there's a link there to subscribe, put your email in and you also get information that way. Um, I would say those are the best ways to fig- uh, find us and see what we're doing. And we, we hope to play really soon. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And I hope we get to talk to you guys again soon. Thanks for having us. Yep. Thank you for having us. We greatly appreciate it. And remember, the Women's Plus World Series is here in Washington, D.C. in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> 2022. Mark your cal- calendars. All right. Well, we, I will be preparing my marketing campaign shortly. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks, Thank guys. You guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members, Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.